Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. And I'm Alex. And I'm David Youssef. And who are you guys on the Discord server? Oh, I go by Bayes Theorem, spelled B-A-E-S. And I change my moniker pretty regularly, but I believe right now you can find me as King of the Summer Sun. Excellent. Welcome. And David has actually been here before. Uh, you have been the, the the wizard on our crazy wizard episode. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if crazy is a fair term, but on our wizard episode. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Alex, you were on the Colin show. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, my 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 whole thing is I'm the organizer for the Kansas City Rationalist Meetup, as well as the Kansas City Effective Altruists Meetup. A lot of overlap, but there are some people in the EA group that aren't in the Rationalist Meetup. So you live in Kansas City? That's correct. Ah, oh, for some reason this whole time I thought you were on the East Coast somewhere. Nope. Midwest. Midwest. Okay. Midwest. Cool. So you guys hadn't actually ever met in physical space before, correct. had you? Yes, this is the first time we've occupied the same time space. <laughs> for yes. some reason I thought that you guys knew each other already. I mean, we... Not physically. There's right, right. <laughs> Not on the Discord, yeah. There's no good words in our modern English language, because like... My brain has been talking to all of you guys. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, oh yeah, I was just talking to them like a few days ago, but we haven't physically all been in a room ever together, and I, we, it's very strange. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. we are here now, and we are going to be talking about a special project they are working on. Uh, but first, we are going to do the sequences as we always do, Great. as we sometimes do. Usually, <laughs> as we usually do. Yeah, nice. we try to anyway. Fun. Luckily, these are a couple quick ones, and they're fun. Uh, they are fun. I like this one. Yeah. Well, why don't you kick us off with Explain, Worship, Ignore, then? Sure. Sounds good. Explain, Worship, Ignore. Yeah, I remember reading this when I first read the sequences, and it's not really a new revelation to me, but it's, as many of the sequences are, it's it's articulated in a way that I never thought of. And having this, this trichotomy, so to speak, is something useful, useful to look out for whenever I'm encountering uh, the supposed end the answer to a curiosity I had. Yeah, and it, I think it does what a lot of the other posts do, which is like distill down themes he's been hitting on for a while into like, all right, here's the thing I'm talking about. Here's a nice, here's a nice single post you can reference rather than try and explain the long-winded way of what I've been hinting at for the last two months of blog posts. So what is it that he's trying to explain in this one as a short summary? So explain worship and ignore at least the summary i got out of it was every time you're faced with a phenomena you have a limited amount of brain energy like you don't have infinite resources and you have to prioritize what you're going to do and how you're going to respond to it and we really only have three responses to phenomena you can either get curious and say well like is this worth putting in time and effort and understanding uh can i ignore it is it not important at the moment i don't need to think about it and then the the idea that this article really pointed out to me that I had not had before is that the third option is worship. And that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> but the idea is when you feel and you see something you don't understand, there's at least a somewhat human instinct to wave it away by saying, oh, that's something beyond the comprehension of men. Therefore, mm-hmm. I just need to be in awe of it yeah yeah the the uh example he uses is uh early man wondering where rain is from yeah and some kid asks an elder hey where does rain come from after it rains 
And the elders like has never really encountered this before because it just rains. No one gives a shit. It happens sometimes. It had right? always been in the ignore category. Exactly for, that elder. for for their lifetimes, they devo- it's always just been the ignore category. And now some reason for some reason, some punk kid is asking for an explanation. <laughs> so he gives an explanation, and the kid asks, "But oh, but why this? Why that? You know, why are the spirits fighting and crying up there?" And uh, the elder eventually goes to because that is the way it is in the grand universe, and mm-hmm. this is how. The cycle of life continues or something, you know, and so defaulting to the worship category for that. And it's not it's not a bad thing to put something into the ignore category if it's genuinely not relevant or you just don't have you just don't have an answer. You don't know how to get the answer. Mm -hmm. But it's important to recognize that you've put it into the ignore category Mm -hmm. and not the worship category. That way, when you do have the capacity to investigate it, you don't blow it off and say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. You're just trying to take the mystery out of it, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I have, um, he made the, he pointed out that the explain is a answer that will always be reiterated. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there will always be deeper and deeper explanations, like why does it rain? Oh, because of this, and why? Well, why does why do um why does moisture condense on particles in the air because of this? And well, how does that happen? Because of atomic physics. Well, why do atoms happen? Well, because of electrons and uh, protons. Mm-hmm. And you always you can always ask another why can right. explain deeper until eventually you reach the point where we don't know yet. Scientists are working on that. Come back in a decade or two. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, someone in the comments uh, asked, well, why can't it just be an infinite recursion? And Yudkowsky responded saying, well, maybe it is an infinite recursion, but then my question is, why is it this infinite recursion as opposed to another infinite recursion? Yeah. So, yeah. And I will say, I've run into that, um, the the ending on worship a number of times in my real life, uh, especially back in the day when I was uh, more active in atheist uh, argument stuff. Mm. But this happened even just uh, a year and a half ago to me when I was talking to someone who is says he's a theist uh, and signs on to one of the major religions, Catholicism, I think, but in, in practice is functionally an atheist, right? Except he goes back to, well, you know, we don't know why or how the Big Bang happened and we don't have any sort of experience for how something can happen before time has begun or without a cause or whatever. So that is that is what God is. God is whatever strange force happened to make the Big Bang happen. And I was like, okay, so you just got to the point where you ran out of explains, and there's your worship. So, I, I'm confused. Mm. Does this person think that uh, before airplanes existed and humans had the experience, they never had the experience of flying, that would they have taken the position then that that was an impossibility and a like a reason for worship? Oh, we haven't experienced it yet, therefore worship. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Seems dubious it also kind of reminds me of the the bayesian judo uh sequence where uh, yudkowsky encounters someone who is a theist and they are poo-pooing the idea of artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and yudkowsky says okay well you just made a prediction you think that in your model of reality uh, artificial intelligence can't happen therefore if and when I make artificial intelligence, that means your your theism is incorrect. And mm-hmm. the guy then recurses uh, in the conversation. And so if someone says the Big Bang is a mystery and that is God, mm-hmm. what are they going to do when we if and when we explain the Big Bang? And then God shrinks back to the next thing. Yeah. I'm always surprised too that someone can have that as their like their motivator for their religion. 
and still call themselves like a Christian or a Catholic or whatever. And it's like, how does it follow from the fact that we don't understand pre Big Bang that like masturbating is a sin yeah. and you know gay people shouldn't get married or something? Is your religion doing any actual work for you, or are you just like a good old fashioned deist? Right. Because um, you realize that five hundred years ago they'd have burnt you at the stake as a heretic for saying things you are now if you're pretending right. to be a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and I try to point out, I don't know why you're using a personal term like God and. You even if you don't say it specifically, you think that he has like agency and personality. Mm-hmm. Like I've the Big Bang, the force that caused the Big Bang is probably something as impersonal as what makes protons and electrons repul- or retract. Right. And uh, the the was like, but you know that, that that's God, man. That's just God. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. Like no, you're not saying it, but you live like it. <laughs> right. You've decided to put this in the worship category for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But you need to take the consequences of that, which means you can't make predictions. Right. You can't make predictions and your curiosity is forever stopped. I think yeah. this is the Worship thing. Worship is the curiosity stopper. Yeah. This yeah. is the thing that actually I disagree with in the article. So he says that we might run into an explanation one day that is self-referential and therefore like needs no further explanation. And that would be where he would choose to wor- worship. Mm-hmm. But Godel's incompleteness theorem, and we were mentioning this before the podcast started, uh, Godel Escherbach, but Godel's incompleteness theorem literally says that, like, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how far you go in math, any closed system will always have things that are outside of its understanding until you build a new system. So it's literally impossible. Like, it is infinitely recursive, unless I'm really misunderstanding that proof, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. (laughs) I think... I, I'm trying to get more context here, but I think he was being facetious because uh, he does talk about that later on in the comments. I have not he, read the comments. I might be very yeah. much misinterpreting this. Yeah, he says, I say must in the worship option. It is irony. Uh, but if there is an infinite regress, I should find that highly curious and I would like to hear explained why it is allowed and why this infinite regress exists rather than some other one. So it sounds like he would still hit the explain button. Okay. I really like Alex's voice for Eliezer. <laughs> he, sounds, he sounds kind of British with an American influence. I'm like, huh? Yeah. That that wow. It's not what he sounds like, but <laughs> no, no, not at all. But it sounds very authoritative. I'm yeah. like, oh yes, Professor Eliezer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we I was going to say we use the word curiosity stopper, which leads us directly into the next post, mm-hmm. and this one ties really closely with that one. Were you going to say something else on this one, though? Yes, I was going to say two quick things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the worship he also um, ties back to worshiping is like a mysterious answer, mysterious question thing, where you are kind of um, you are making a value of your uh, your ignorance and how this is mysterious and great and feels really good. So that was the thing. The other thing I was going to say is uh, you guys are all uh, younger than me, and some of you fare quite a fair bit younger. I was wondering, do you understand, do you get the, the in-joke to explain Worship Ignore being the same thing as um, uh, Abort Retry Fail? <laughs> I do not. No, sorry. Way way back when computers ran on DOS, uh, well, when PCs ran on DOS, uh, a common, whenever the computer would try to execute an operation and it failed, it couldn't it couldn't do it, it would come up with a little di- dialog box that said abort, retry, fail. And if you mm. aborted, it would stop doing what it was trying to do. If you failed, the exact same thing happened. I don't know why there are two different options. And if you retry, retry then it just tries to do it again, which in 100% of the cases in my experience meant you just got the dialogue box again. <laughs> yeah. Definition of insanity. <laughs> yes. But yeah, and then that was ported over into the first Windows uh, 
operating system as well, where whenever there was a system error like that, you would get that pop-up box. So I immediately, as soon as I saw explain worship ignore, I was like, oh, it's abort retry fail. <laughs> That's exactly what it is with that context. I and I think it matches too, because like explain maps to retry, because mm-hmm. you're always like searching further and further and further. I'm mm-hmm. assuming ignore is fail because you've just failed to try to explain things. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, maybe worship is, is fail. Yeah, I think worship is, is failed. Ignores yeah, abort. Okay. If I had to guess why there's two different options, one would put a would send it to some log somewhere saying this task failed if you clicked mm. failed, but if you just hit abort, it's just like ah eh, fuck it, and it's <laughs> not going to bother. Okay. Um, I I'm not actually sure, but that'd be my guess. And that, what's funny is like I can just imagine like the the allegory of like you know tell your computer to make you a sandwich and it goes in to get peanut butter. There's no peanut butter, so it's just like there's nothing. I don't I don't have a I don't have a way to handle no peanut butter. Yeah. Do you want me to try again? Yeah, sure. Oh fuck, there's still no peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. um, like so, of course it's gonna just fail on the on the retry every time. Yeah. Like the only time I can see that working is uh you know over web connections where it's like oh yeah there was a hiccup in the connection now it's fine again so. Um, Maybe it was for really back in the day when you could like go back and mess with vacuum tubes and then hit retry. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> look That'd for an actual moth in the computer. <laughs> yes. Yep. What I like about this too is that independently, I think um, the phrase "God of the Gaps" came up for like the worship category here, mm-hmm. um, where oh, I've got this gap in my understanding. Well, that'll be where I and we we touched on this. We just didn't give it the name, but that I think it was an independent articulation of that same sort of thing that I liked. So um, yeah. All right, then we should move on to science as curiosity stopper. I've got a good way to jump into this one. The first thing I thought of was when I also do a Harry Potter podcast on methods of rationality. And when Professor McGonagall turns into a cat, he's like, how the fuck did that happen? And she's like, magic. And he's like, that's not an explanation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah. that is exactly what this is. If we brought a caveman from, you know, 100,000 years ago and flipped on a light switch and showed him the refrigerator that puts out clean water and he just, and first, you know, he was also a scientifically curious caveman and he'd be like, how's this work? And he'd be like, oh, science. And he's like, that, that doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. That's yeah. not an answer. Fuck like, you. <laughs> Sci- the, the word science can often be used as a worship button as well. It, honestly, anything like magic, science, if, if you don't actually understand the word, a- any word can be used to just stop your curiosity. I mean, this sounds like scientism to me. Like mm-hmm. the the almost like, I fucking love science Facebook page. I was just thinking oh the same like, thing. It's people who admire what science does and i don't blame them for that Mm -hmm. but they don't want to do the work of understanding the process they just want to understand the end and they don't even want to understand the end really they just want to see the end results and be able to say like oh someone gets it therefore it's good yeah science could have resulted in a lot of different discoveries in a different kind of universe but the the beautiful part about science is not the things it has discovered it is the methodology of learning the rules of the world around you and finding out where you are wrong and where how you can learn more uh, it's like in methods of rationality harry says if if all if everything failed and the all the laws of the universe were replaced i still exist and that and my ability to find figure out the world around me still exists and that is the beautiful part about science that a lot of people don't understand agreed the beauty of the natural world that we've discovered is just a bonus right yeah he says he finds it interesting that a lot of people uh 
stop being curious about something if it turns out that someone else knows the answer, <laughs> which is what saying science often means. It's yeah. like, why does the, the light switch turn on the light? Well, uh, you know, because of electricity. How does electricity work? I don't know, science. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, like something Scott Alexander once wrote. He uh, and uh, someone else he knows, they have a habit of whenever they don't actually understand something, they ex- explicitly say that's magic. Just, yeah, yeah. just as a placeholder, because they know it's that was not just actually... a few episodes back oh. in uh, the sequences. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a useful technique, especially as long as you don't actually believe in magic. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. A I'm good... sitting right next to you. <laughs> <laughs> pl- you you believe in placebo, Mancy. That's different than 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 the magic I'm thinking of. Yeah. I put on my robe and wizard hat. <laughs> <laughs> what ninja? Uh, but yeah, it's a it's it's a fun technique that I've used in the past. I think. So, I think a good way actually to deal with this, because like I run into this all the time, and I'm sure you guys do as well, where people clearly don't know the science they're talking about and spreading, Mm -hmm. is to let them give them examples of when the scientists don't know what's going on, because Mm -hmm. then it helps them realize maybe someone out there doesn't know. I don't know why that psychological thing is in their head. I find it's easier to tell people like, Oh, this thing that you think is figured out by science, you're completely wrong. We're kind of guessing. We're not even sure we're anywhere right. Then they get curious because then they're like, oh, there really is a mystery. And I think, I think the sequences make a very good case that that feeling of needing mystery is a trap and that you should be looking outside of whatever you conventionally think is mysterious. But it seems like a good way to do it. Like one of my favorite stories is we had jet engines for a few years before we had the aerodynamics to explain how they flew. So there were several years where there were Air Force pilots getting into machines, going at Mach 3, and no one on Earth could explain what was happening. It was essentially like riding a magic bullet. Like, anyone on Earth would have been like, <laughs> We're in that similar situation with things like anesthetics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, helping... Pretty, wait, with jet engines, it's basically throwing shit out the back to make it go faster, right? It's the vortexes that were really confusing us because we didn't understand how the movement of air behind the turbine was creating as much thrust as it did. Like, we knew it was, should work, the same as a rocket, but we just didn't understand how effective it was and why we would be getting issues at higher temperatures, like... We had to discover that when you go at a certain speed, the metal heats up and stretches. And so you need to build gaps into all your jet engines and stuff like that. Okay. Wow. Being a test pilot must have been pretty dangerous then. (laughs) It must have been absolutely radical to get into a machine that no human on Earth could explain to you. This is why I don't get the version one of anything. (laughs) Why I won't be waiting in line for... Elon Musk's Neuralink version 1.0. That's why I'm not getting the vaccine first. I'm getting it. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'll wait for the second round. (laughs) I think the FDA is way too strict, and we should be totally fine by the time it comes out. Well, and vaccines are explored territory. So, like, it's it's different than, you know, know, the the discovery and and distribution of jet engines or Neuralinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I just figured, you know what? I'll the Neuralink. I'll get I'll get the two version. Yeah. But you know, vaccines I've had since I was a kid. So if this is like the other ones I've got. Then close enough. But I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not retiring until I. Um have the vaccine because it'll be covered by my insurance and i want to retire as early as possible so <laughs> getting that vaccine as soon as i can nice pretty good point <laughs> yeah i like the last paragraph here where he says the world around you is full of puzzles prioritize if you must 
but do not complain that cruel science has emptied the world of mystery. Because, yeah, that's, that kind of goes back to the idea of the beauty of science is, is not the things it has discovered. It's if you are a proper scientist, there is no end to, the curio- to your curiosity. There is no end to the mystery and wonder of the world around you. Uh, like to a real scientist if you say the answer is science that's a prompt for them to be like what field tell me who did this like it's not a conversation ender it's the beginning yeah to a real scientist the word science is a very unsatisfactory explanation (laughs) i just wired up yesterday a couple well one more thing in my house and i realized while i was doing it that like i know that the live wire goes to the power station where the, the the electricity in quotes comes from uh, but like the ground wire, where does that go? I mm. assume it has to go back, right? Nope. Not not like the ground ground that grounds oh, the in case grounds short, the house. but the okay. yeah the other wire, the non live one, hmm. the white wire. Where where does that go? Does that eventually loop back to the station as well to complete the circuit? See, mysteries abound. It's I, just the way it has always been in Eon. It's from the time before time. I feel like half our listeners are going to be like, I can't believe he doesn't know this. What adult doesn't know this? But on the other hand, I'm just like, the black one is the death, and yeah. the white one is okay, and you match black to white when you hook things up. Mm. Or so, black to black and white to white when I was you say, hook things up. If anyone's going to give you shit about that, I'll, I'll share some of that and saying that I couldn't have... I would have killed myself trying to do anything like this. <laughs> my, my, my knowledge of... Like my my lack of knowledge of anything regarding electricity was really born when we met uh, got to know um, Chase uh, I don't know years ago at one of the meetups mm-hmm. and he, he's just like a Wikipedia on this stuff and I'm like mm-hmm. fuck I don't know shit all about any of this this is awesome <laughs> um, it was it was really enlightening I remember in the like early advent of being able to text pictures to each other we were visiting my great grandparents and my grandpa. You know, was a farmer, then postal worker, and he was. You know, I showed him. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is a picture I took." And then, "Oh yeah, my someone sent me this picture just today." And he's like, "I have no idea how that can possibly work." Mm. And I'm like, "You know what? I don't really either." Because I was like 12, mm. um, and even now, it's like I, I still I understand how parts of it work, but it's I don't understand enough of it. To be able to say build one from scratch or or tell you how to build one from scratch. You mean uh, making pictures out of ones and zeros? Well, that and and texting a picture to somebody. Uh, that part I get more than the uh, just yeah. I mean, rendering a picture from someone. I mean, I I get parts of it, but you know, there's it's, a cool video. Um, it starts out like it appears to be a explanation of Excel spreadsheets and how you can uh, make the different colors or the different cells uh, different shades. If you, it's a common thing. Like if a number mm-hmm. is greater than one hundred, make the cell turn red so that it pops out right away, and the account can be like, uh oh, what happened over here. But uh, it's a great video. It starts out like that, but then he just zooms out, and he's like, "Oh, he made a picture." And it's it's. I know about how- this guy. I read an article about him. He does Excel art. He's been doing like pieces that are huge wall mounts and selling them for a few thousand dollars. I would love to have an Excel piece of like a Monet because yeah. I can't think mm-hmm. of anything more opposite to impressionism than little boxes. And it's, <laughs> and it's how all all um, electronic pictures work. Just every single pixel is a number, and the mm-hmm. number represents a color value. It's a really good thing to excel at. Yeah. Nice puns are good transitions to the real episode. Puns are <laughs> terrible. We got to kick them off the podcast. We've got to uh, uh, tell what we're discussing next episode. Right, next episode we will be talking about the posts. Uh, where was I? Absurdity heuristic, absurdity bias, which is one post, and availability, which is the other. All right, and whilst we're doing a third one, why is the future so absurd? Awesome. Cool.
Alrighty. Well, I suppose this... Uh, unless you guys had anything else you wanted to go over. Alright. So by the time this comes out, there'll be an episode... Yes, thank you. Like, applause. <laughs> there'll be an episode on... Uh, well, should I plug the doof? Yeah, Whatever. Go for it. If you're if you give a buck a month to do, if you can subscribe to their patron only feed, which is mainly uh, Matt Freeman, famous leader of the rationalist movement, um, <laughs> and his brother talking about random cool shit, and I think mine and Scott's on this one will be the first one that isn't. No wait, maybe the second one that isn't Matt and Scott having the Freeman Bros conversations. So wait, I'm sorry, Matt. Matt and his brother Daniel. Yeah. I was um, say. Yeah. Anyway, check it out. Cool. What? So, you guys are here, well, I guess you're here from Kansas City, and you're here from, I know, the East Coast, New Jersey, I want to say? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Amish country. Right. Yes, yes. I was going to get that right. Damn it. <laughs> um, but you, uh, well, you have some things from Kansas City bring to us. Yeah, yeah. So, I suppose this starts, the story starts two, three years ago. Um, evangelical Alex was running a Harry Potter tabletop campaign, uh, D&D style. Um, and Do they he, actually have a source book for that? No, it's not official. Okay. There are a few different varieties. But uh, anyways, I was looking for plot ideas. So I did some lo- research specifically into the founders of, Harry, of, in the, of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled across H.P. Moore. Oh! Yep. That's what started it. That's what started it. I mean, a classic backstory. Mm-hmm. So I read H.P. Moore... Um, and then got into the sequences, because it's like, hey, do you want to learn everything Harry knows? I'm like, yeah, I want to know everything Harry knows. That sounds great. Um, and I read the sequences over the course of like three months, and it's, among other things, it single-handedly deconverted me from evangelical Christianity. Holy shit. And then I was just a rationalist alone in Kansas City with no one to talk to, because uh, I, I wasn't really active on the internet uh, that much. I was very busy. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I looked on Less Wrong, and I saw that there was a Slate Star Codex meetup. Uh, it was one of the, part of the meetups everywhere thing. Mm-hmm. It was just a one-off kind of meetup. Uh, I got went there, and it was so cathartic. It was so good to meet other people I could talk to and, about the content of the sequences and HP Moore. Um, David, you had a thing about the first time you walked into a, a Less Wrong meetup? Yeah, so the first time I actually went to a rationalist meetup was in Denver here. Uh, I knew you guys were in Denver. My little brother lives here. And I was like, oh, I'll at least check on meetup.com. Maybe I'll get lucky during the week I'm here. And I was really inter- like nervous and intimidated. But as soon as I walked into the room and saw all of you guys and heard the conversation, I literally felt my shoulders drop and relax. And I didn't realize how much tension I have knowing that most of the people I talk to, I have to assume they are not reasonable. I have to start with the assumption that things are not going to be an easy communication, and that's just not true in this community. It really, mm-hmm. it felt like breathing for the first time really deeply in a, like months. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I can picture you being nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, he hides it with magic. <laughs> yes. I, I, um... I, I think I mentioned earlier, I had a really good analogy, and it's escaping me. Oh, yes. So when you're talking with another rationalist and you meet another rationalist, you already know that you share so much background knowledge that in a, any other relationship would take months of really intimate discussions and really good, a really solid uh, time, amount of time together and that you just get for free with, the rational, with anyone in the rationalist, with most people in the rationalist community. But... 
I, it wasn't enough for me. I've always been a very ambitious person. Uh, everything I do, I, I, do all, I go all the way. It's, I go big or go home. Kind of, I'm, that kind of, I'm that kind of person. So I started to attend these Slate Star Codex meetups. It was a once a month uh, hangout where they just kind of chatted over coffee kind of thing. I'm like, you know what? I want to I raise the sanity waterline of, of planet Earth. That's what I want to do. Uh, so I gathered everyone together and I said, okay, who wants to just start an actual nationalist meetup? Like, we're going to do this every week. We're going to have a dojo. We're going to do community, external facing community stuff. And I managed to get most of them on board. So then I, baby rationalist Alex, who has almost no training in the community, was tasked with constructing a dojo. <laughs> Uh, because that's what I wanted to do, but I was the only one that wanted to do it, so I had to do this myself. And the best thing I could find was something called the Hammer Time Sequence on Less Wrong. Uh, it was written by someone who went through CIFAR and then wrote 30 days of material uh, going over everything he learned. So we started off with that. And because we were a bunch of rationalists, we went through it and we, we modified it so much. We, we had, yeah. Uh, do you want to explain what the Hammer Time sequence is for the listeners who haven't had the opportunity to listen to it yet? Well, it's if you're not familiar with CIFAR, the Center for Applied mm-hmm. Rationality, it is uh, basically the most formal organization to come out of the rationalist community. It is basically, they basically put on these semi-frequent workshops where you it's like a two three day camp or a week-long camp something to that effect yeah yeah they do have some smaller ones yeah the big one is like i think two or three weeks two or three weeks so that's almost like a mini boot camp yeah 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 but they they have smaller ones now too yeah and so this they they basically teach you various ways of overcoming bias in your planning like in your day-to-day life applied rationality is in the name so they they're interested in how you apply rationality to accomplishing goals in your real life so things like debugging yourself, finding the problems in your in your physical space, uh, overcoming biases in planning, that kind of thing. So that's the material. That's in, that was the material that inspired this hammer time sequence, which we then used as the raw materials on which to practice dojo stuff. And basically, each week we discussed one of the techniques, and we critiqued it, we used it, we talked about it, and the next week we would report back on how it affected our lives from the last week, from the previous week. Um, and that went on for a while. We eventually got to the end of the Hammer Time sequence and did a post-mortem on it and realized there was so much material we had brought to the table ourselves as a bunch of rationalists who have done our own rationality in our own lives. Uh, we have a licensed therapist among in our midst who was able to bring a lot of really good uh, frameworks to, formal frameworks uh, to the table. Mm-hmm. And we decided to start doing our own thing. And it's very similar format. We talk about a technique. We talk about something epistemologically related. Then I then Corona hit, mm-hmm. and dun 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 dun. So we had to cancel our IRL meetups, and I also around this time had started an effective altruism meetup, and that includes a lot of people that are not explicitly in the rationalist community. Right. So the main thing I wanted to bring to the table here is, number one, there are lots of rationalists around the country that don't have a meetup that they can go to. They don't have a community they can go to to feel this sense of catharsis that David and I and you guys get to experience whenever you meet your local rationalists. And I wanted to first start off by giving them a word of encouragement 
the Bayesian conspiracy was a huge help to me during those times when I was just a baby rationalist and didn't know anyone around me. And number two, if you are able to access online forums of some kind, like Facebook events, meetup.com, if you post uh, that you are a rationalist looking for other rationalists, you will very likely find someone. But if you do not, I started an effective altruism group, and that has brought a lot of people into the rationality community that were not previously in it. It's a similar mindset. Similar mindset. It attracts the same kind of people, um, but it has a slightly larger circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're struggling creating an organiza- a, a community in your local area of rationalists, start an EA group. That is a great springboard for bringing people in. And we basically have a book club each week, uh, every, every month uh, with EA. And uh, every time it's my turn to provide a reading, I usually provide the sequences of something. <laughs> uh, and, that, and everyone loves it. It's great. And that has been a very positive experience for me. So all that being said... Um, there were a few, th- the reason I did all this and the reason I was so passionate about this is because I do want to have a positive impact on the world and the rationality community has such potential to be that. It is mm-hmm. everything that I can, it, the, my model of a group of people that change humanity for the better it very closely matches the rationalist community. But there were a few problems that I've noticed. Uh, number one, Rationalists are not, uh, notorious for not working very well together. At the very least, they don't. They dislike grouping together mm. into organizations. That's an and, issue with like the skeptic community too, and the yeah. atheist community. Uh, I think Richard Dawkins equated like coordinating the atheist community to herding cats. Right. Yeah. Right. Really, a lot of anti-authoritarian communities are going to have allergic reactions to groups that are trying to coordinate. Right. And that is the worst, least rational part about us because there's <laughs> nothing more powerful on earth than groups of humans cooperating together. We have almost you, nothing weaker than one guy screaming through a megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... But that's a hard yeah, fucking I, thing to get I, over I, when your entire life you've been trained to like watch out for large groups because they're dangerous and they're stupid. So... Um, Oh, one second. Almost, yes. I'm, I'm about to transition yes. straight to you. Thank yes. you. Um, so I was listening to the Bayesian Conspiracy. You guys had David Youssef on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was absolutely railing against this particular failure mode of the rationalist community. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a guy I can talk to about organizing <laughs> and he won't have allergic reactions to, to this concept. So I reached out to him. And I'm, I say, hey, do you want to start a virtual dojo? Because we can't do Corona, we can't do IRL dojos during the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to have like a Zoom one that we can just open up to the Discord channel? And he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've been talking to Matt Freeman and I will hand it over to you to give you a backstory on all this. So um, a few years ago when I first uh, got to Denver, met you guys, uh, I think it was... After my, because I've done another episode after the magic one where I was in person, and I know I've done one online, but I met Matt Freeman, and during our conversation, we realized we had a lot of the same frustrations. In fact, I believe a few episodes ago, Stephen, you were talking about emails you had been sharing with Matt about how frustrating it is that a lot of the rationality stuff that we practice is not measured is not really we don't know how effective it is we don't know how well implemented it is i've got to clarify i think we're talking about two different mats yeah that was a different mat that was about that episode 
Oh. Oh, yeah. So that w- I didn't use the guy's last name because I don't like to disclose full mm-hmm. names on from emails. If it's public, then I'm fine reading whatever mm-hmm. username. Uh, this was not Matt Freeman. Okay. Matt we, knows the value of the community just fine yeah, and the value of its teachings. You just cut out all of that. Oh, no, leave it all in. It, it, it doesn't matter. Okay. It's just, it's a so, mistake. I, I, no, because we were talking about that before and it didn't quite click that like, oh, wait, he's maybe thinking of a different Matt. Okay, yeah. Well, so. then I'm glad that someone else is thinking about this, but the Matt I was talking to is Matt Freeman. And for a few years now, we've been discussing this very frustrating issue of one, we don't know. We both believe that rationality has helped our lives immeasurably, but we don't know how to measure that like in a practical way. We don't know how to advertise. And one of the things that's always bothered me is I think a lot of rationalists view soft skills like social skills as an annoyance to be learned afterwards, not realizing that this puts them in the position where other people define us. Like we as a community are so antithetical to the things we consider the dark arts like branding even (laughs) that we end up leaving ourselves vulnerable in a lot of ways that are pretty stupid in my opinion and so we had talked for years about how to approach this and we weren't sure we had shared discord messages and emails and then alex reaches out to me and alex is like hey i would like to do a virtual dojo and so I was like, yeah, me and Matt have been talking about this. So I included Alex in a conversation. Uh, we also incru- included Gray, who does the podcast, uh, a podcast very different from our own. and Also Uncultured Swine. Thank you. And as well as a, the only rationalist I knew in Lancaster, Pennsylvania for years, my one of my oldest friends, Errol, who is a programmer with experience uh, in nuclear submarines in the Navy. <laughs> So as a group, we've been trying to meet at least once or twice a week since the quarantine started online, and we have been trying to figure out how to attack a lot of these problems in a coherent way. Yeah. And some of the problems we noticed, just to give you kind of basic rundown of the problems we're trying to solve. Uh, one, we mentioned rationalists are pretty bad at coordination. Uh, and also another thing... Once you've done all the reading, once you've read H.P. Moore, you've read the sequences, you're left wondering, well, what now? What do I do with this? Right. And that's something that the likes of CFAR has tried to, tried to accomplish to varying success. Um, there's also a big problem where there's not a lot of interpersonal accountability and an interpersonal uh, development. So... Like CFAR, for example, um, they have their workshops, which are a few days to a couple weeks. And then you go home <laughs> and you go back to your life. And there's no, there's no reiterating all of that. There's no other person you can talk to in your, in meet space saying, Hey, well, how are you doing? What, what did, what did you do last week that uh, helped, uh, helped you with your, with your growth as a rationalist? Or what, what, what about this project you've been working on? They try to accomplish that, but it's, I've, from the people that I have known who've gone to see, who've gone to see far, it doesn't really stick that much. Um, there's not enough structure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also the question of there are rationalists who don't have people IRL that they can speak to and have interpersonal accountability for. So there's this problem of a scalable community, something you can have in in your home or in your immediate community, and also 
something that scales up to the the nationwide community, the global community of rationalists. You have various uh, communities you can join, like various discords, podcasts you can listen to. You can go post on Less Wrong, but they're all disparate. They're they're not connected in any coherent way. There's not consistency there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the pro- another one of the problems. Then David mentioned that you know we feel like rationality has helped us a lot. Like, but all I can really do is create a counterfactual model of my life and say, hey, yeah, this was pretty bad if I didn't have rationality. And I can point to some big things, like my finances are orders of magnitude better since I discovered rationality, my epistemology is more coherent, my relationships are better, but I can't really point to a single thing. It's mostly just raised the sanity waterline of my life. And people often come back with either, well, you would have been that way anyway because you're just a naturally, you know, smart person. Right. Or they come back with, well, any other self-help program would probably have similar results. Right. And that is a perfectly fair criticism. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if rationality is just like any other self-help, I want to know that. Like, mm-hmm. as a good rationalist, my question is, what do I think I know? How do I think I know that? How can I test this? But we don't really have a good way to test that, like, mm-hmm. actual, actual sci- scientifically. Um, and there's also just the idea of motivation. Uh, having other people to hold you accountable is one thing, but also just having people to motivate you and provide incentive structures for you. Like in martial arts, you have belt systems and people reward you with belts and they, you, you get a whole test to yourself where everyone is watching you ex- uh, demonstrate your skills and spar with others and then they, they, they recognize your talent. And we don't really have that in the rationality community. So those are some of the problems that we have noticed. And in order to solve those problems, David, would you like to give us the quick and dirty on the actual guild? So, ooh, it has a term. Yes. We, we want to create an online organization in space. And we want it to be a place where we teach and help each other grow and learn and build a formal structure around it. We, the reason that we wanted to make something as official as a guild, not a business, but a guild, because a guild implies apprenticeship. It implies growth through it. And that's what this community really lacks. We're actually old enough as a community now where we have seniors and like baby rationalists. Mm-hmm. That was not true five or eight years ago. Like the community was still too young at that point. Mm-hmm. But now we actually have people who not only have done the work, went through the sequences and all of that, but have actually made criticisms, improvements. It's pretty incredible. And the other thing is the art can never be focused on itself or it becomes recursive. So we wanted to make rationality instrumental. And I want to, I've heard a really good phrase uh, about Christians uh, evangelizing, preach the gospel every moment of every day. And if absolutely necessary, use your words. (laughs) And while I am not a Christian, I appreciate the idea of this, that if you are winning if the thing you believe is real, you don't need to advertise. People will come to you and say, what are you doing right? right? So in that vein, we have named our organization the Guild of Servants because we should use rationality to serve the world, to be bigger than our own egos and bigger than the things that make us feel that we are special. 
we are special in the sense that every individual has unique gifts. But until we work as a group and work together to make ourselves better, we're always just going to be a second rate internet community instead of the group of people who has the ability to change the world. I mean, we were correct about the coronavirus as a community way before everyone else. And while not many of us made huge changes, I think almost every rationalist I know was slightly better prepared for the coronavirus than the entire population of this country and most of the government. Mm -hmm. And nobody listened to us. Well, we had no social clout. So when we started panicking for that first month, we were ignored by our local friends and communities. What was nice was being able to have the foresight to help the people I care about prep who, you know, who don't read rationalist blogs, you know, so mm -hmm. I got to tell my parents, be like, yeah, you know that, you know, there's like 15 cases. This is probably definitely going to be huge. You guys should be prepared for, uh, you know, and I, I didn't really anticipate because I didn't have a good, God, what, seventh month model eight month model of what this is supposed to look like oh my 15 year model you know we're, <laughs> we're only in the first year of lockdown we've got three more to go so oh um please don't like, joke <laughs> <laughs> but uh it it's it was at least one small thing that hey i i happen to be in a social circle that informed me that this is probably going to be a pretty big deal um i'm able to look at what they're saying makes sense to me i'm gonna i'm gonna act like this is a big deal too and thus I can, you know, I called my grandma, made sure she had everything that she needed to, to hunker down for a bit. And she said the most badass thing. I might have said this in the air or not before. Um, she's, I think next week she'll be turning 86 or 87. Damn. Um, and she's like, oh yeah, this reminds me of uh, like when polio was going around. But back then not everyone had a radio, so not everyone really knew what was going on. And I'm like, that is the most gangster fucking thing. <laughs> that's, that's the most like grandma way of saying, oh, I've seen some shit. This ain't no big deal. <laughs> Like now I've got TV and, and internet, I'll be fine. But and you know, you in were, her house without electricity as a kid, you know, polio was ravaging the nation, and not not everyone had a radio. Was really the statement that like, oh damn, okay, yeah, that that a super dates that statement, and also really adds the like the level of you'll be fineness that I'm getting from <laughs> from what you're saying. I mean, and think about that. Like you were able to legitimately make the lives of the people around you safer. I hope. I was at least able to tell them stuff. Listen, maybe it was only 10% safer, but when things are this dangerous, that matters. Those add up. Yeah. Those That's things really do. And we were right. Like, I was a little bit paranoid when I heard about the coronavirus stuff. So I went out and I used a little bit more money than I thought and I got some extra canned food. I was like, eh, it can't hurt. And you know what? When the lockdown happened, my family did not need to leave the house for the first two months. We had enough food that we just didn't even have to leave the house. I don't know if that really made a huge difference, but it made our stress levels go down. Mm -hmm. And yet, we help our families. Why are there no rationalists consulting the government? Maybe not this administration, but as a general <laughs> theory, like why are there no rationalist consulting groups working for the government? Why are there none helping big uh, corporations pivot as soon as they see this to start making masks and ventilators so they can make the most profit? Yeah. Like these are all things that could have happened and didn't. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned branding a moment ago, Stephen, and that is also another focus that we have. So we don't call ourselves a rationality guild. As you may have noticed, uh, this is designed to be its own thing, but it is heavily inspired by the rationality community with all the knowledge and power that we have as rationalists behind it. 
So every cause wants to be a cult, happy death spirals. We ha- we we created this with all of that in mind. So everyone really should cu- know real quick that he's not saying every cause wants to be a cult as in we want to be a cult. Oh but yes, that is a sequence. That post. is a sequence that post. Yes, is a warning. That is a warning yes. that every cause wants to be a cult. So you gotta there are certain failure modes of organizing, and we took all that in mind and we balanced the we balanced the scales of what you know pros and cons. We decided that we would own our brand from the very beginning. So that's a problem the rationality community has, is they don't own their brand. People brand for us. They look at us as this weird online community, and because we are so detached from our local communities, that they, 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 they have more power over our brand than we do. Which is hugely despairing. I mean, I was just talking, well, watching a conversation on the internet with some people a few weeks ago, and... You know, at some point, one person has some asshole link, you know, use quotes from a Slate Star Codex post to make some jerk point or something. Yeah. And that's their only exposure. Mm-hmm. And it, it's part of me wants to be a dick right back at them being like, hey, you know, if the first time you get mugged, it's a black person, doesn't mean all black people are bad. Right. Um, it, it, like, but that, that's not really hitting the nail on the head. That's um, no, not, that's it, not, yeah. It's like, it, it, it does make a, a general thing about, like, let's not generalize across an entire group of, of people based on one in- interaction. But, like, I'm, I'm, this is a bit, bit on a side from that part, that part of the branding issue. But I was having this conversation then one on one with somebody and they're not in the community and they were trying to explain to me, like, how from the outside this looks bad. And I'm like, and I, so I gave them kind of my explanation, my, my prior thought on, like, well, look, you know, if one person miswields the tools or misunderstands an argument and uses it poorly to, bispar- to disparage somebody else, that A, there's not much we can do to stop that other than having a solid brand that we're behind and then saying like, look, they're clearly not in this club. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if somebody, again, finds some, some uh, you know, Robin Hansen is, 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 I think, delightfully thought-provoking with basically everything he writes. And if you write something that can come off to, to large audiences as like very offensive because they're not one of the things you mentioned about like being able to relax around rationalists is that we are capable of the many thousands of year old revered tradition of being able to entertain an idea without believing it. <laughs> yes. Um, what are you talking about? What nonsense is this? <laughs> <laughs> we can take absurd hypotheticals, talk about them coherently, and to the point where it's like, yep, that makes perfect sense, and then just go on about our day without, you know, implementing eugenics or something, right? <laughs> um, so like it's it's something that i find valuable being able to consider ideas that i don't necessarily want to promulgate yeah. but they they went off and they found uh like the top post from the month on r slash the mot which is the same slate star codex subreddit mm-hmm. and it was the culture worth read and the top comment was on like disparities and iqs with cross races or something mm-hmm. and they're like so from the outside, if I'm curious about what this rationality thing is, I Google places to look at it. I don't know why you would find the Mott first, but right. <laughs> but if you did, um, the thing that they wanted to talk about the most that month was IQ differences across races. Mm. And I'm like, I don't really know how to address that. Like, if you read the comments, people are saying, why the fuck do we care about this? And, you know, other, other sane things that almost everyone can get on board with. But uh, it... I mean, I just think that the proper response to that is... This is not a rational conversation to have because there's like 
literally decades of research data that shows that while there are differences between cultures, race is like the least important way to measure it. And so therefore, it's a waste of our time. Like we shouldn't prioritize that conversation, not that it's bad to have it or that we should be incapable of considering it. But like, it is just kind of silly. But then they would say, well, then why was this such a commonly talked about? Why would why was this the most upvoted talked about thing on the thread? Oh, I agree with this person. Someone should have stepped into the thread and said, this is a waste of our time. Yeah, that's what I believe. The moderators messed up because like, unless there was new research, if there was a new paper that came out that significantly shifted previous assessments, then I would be more reasonable. But otherwise, I agree with this person. If I if that was my first exposure to the community, I would be pretty unwell with that, especially as an Arab American. Like, it would be pretty frightening. Yeah, so I think, I think not too long ago, uh, some Vox journalist resurrected the whole um, Sam Harris is evil because he interviewed the guy that wrote The Bell Curve. Yeah. And so that was a trending topic for a while. Actually, delightfully enough, um, I was just going to bring that up because uh, she, one of the authors of that, that post was on his podcast on uh, the most recent episode, which at the time of this recording is episode 212, uh, Catherine Page Harden. And it was actually a really, really good episode. Um, they, they, they talked about really, and she, she's also in the field of like genetic research um, and how genetics, you know, not genetic determinism in so many words, but uh, like longitudinal twin studies and stuff, the stuff mm-hmm. I take part in, but don't do. Um and oh yeah like, you're a twin i'm a twin yeah keep forgetting that which is like my my lame fallback for like i am helping the body of, of science going <laughs> forward by by always answering Dude. the summons from the from the university of, or the colorado uh what colorado university or whatever cu boulders department of behavioral genetics man and go there and do stuff every few years when they call um in any case uh they had a very fruitful conversation on that and it, it does come down to like this is this is something that we don't know a lot about and at the end of the day it doesn't seem all that valuable to know and if differences this is just the iq thing i don't really get too bogged down in that because any individual person you meet can be anywhere right and well i mean the thing is is like some groups of people are taller than other groups of people right and like inherit i don't again i don't want to get too bogged down in this but he makes the point that like if we take a list of the top 50 things that we all care about and that we all want more for ourselves or something it's a good bet that one of the that many of those will have some basis in your genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it could just be longevity, mm-hmm. you know, some families come from you know uh, lineages of people that all die in their sixties, and others have ones that push to their nineties for you know going back three or four generations, and so like that's a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't Every even have to be. Every single anti CRISPR person is going to immediately turn around as soon as they find the way to CRISPR bigger penis genes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I, I guess what what I what all this comes down to is if I was talking with this person and uh, I could reach out to you guys and say, hey, look, this person's asking me why is the mot what is a typically good bastion of sanity spending so much time talking about something so stupid and like it's hard to not think of a facetious, more off-putting example of something to discuss if you're just poking your head into the room and you overhear uh, IQ scores and race, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to close that door. They're <laughs> clearly insane in there. What, what do we do about that? So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. We need to have a brand so that when someone crosses that line, we can say, listen, that guy is not associated with us. Our organization will have certain principles, courage, Wait. curiosity, honesty, and I believe there's 
Uh, there's a big focus on knowing how we're perceived by others in the world. That is the that is one of the biggest motivations to make a separate organization because we want to be able to get ahead of that conversation. And there are certain conversations that are great to have and fun to have as rationalists. We like to entertain ideas, but at the end of the day, there are if we want to raise the sanity waterline of the world, we have to recognize where that waterline currently is and how our community is going to have effect on that, what ripples are going to be made, how we go about raising that waterline, and talking about IQ stuff probably isn't something you'll ever see us doing as I, a as a as a organization. I have two, well, one thing and one question, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing is that rationalism is always going to have a problem because there is a large movement that's been underfoot for decades to um, basically roll back the whole Enlightenment. Uh, it's very postmodern, very you know, mm-hmm. uh, everything is subjective, and uh, has. A huge amount of allies right now in academia, uh, well, some places in academia, but it's it's the very much, uh, God, there's a great article on it that I'll post soon, but it, it's very much a thing of um, everything is relative, uh, cultural relativism is a huge thing, and uh, rationality is directly opposed to that. Like, Even worse, epistemological relativity. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're like... Rationality and and logic and uh, dispassion are things that they have identified as enemies and they attack frequently. Then and, you beat them. Right, right. No, but I'm saying right now <laughs> they are a large and strong group and we are not. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's going to be a long uphill fight. Yeah. And so I understand why you want to like not include the word rationality and distance yourself from that. Because obviously if you're starting out as a new organization, you don't want someone that big to fight with. Uh, off the start, but are you are you not worried that by pulling from the rationalist ranks and being kind of rationalism adjacent, you're going to be uh, get the guilt by association thing that they like to do? So there is one way I know to defeat that, which is building a reputation that is so strong that no one can attack it. And the reason we don't have that reputation is because we are an insular community. One of the big parts about this. Uh, organization we want to start is we're going to be outward facing in the sense that we're going to encourage people every time they do a series of classes with us to do a project that affects their real physical community. My end goal is something like an Elks Lodge in every city, a group that everyone knows is a little bit weird, maybe a little mysterious, (laughs) but they have a reputation of being there for the community. They do volunteer work. They go help. The very first one we're going to do is we're going to encourage everyone to do as much good as they can in within like a hundred miles of themselves for the coronavirus. And obviously, if you're isolated and you need to do stuff online, we're not unreasonable. We will accommodate. But if someone's going to make accusations like, oh, you guys are a terrible group. You don't like you're so selfish with your rationality. We can be like, you can say that, but we just raised a hundred thousand dollars for children who have the coronavirus. What did you do? That's the way you defeat that with actions that are incontrovertibly good and saying that is what we dedicate ourselves to. And if you have a problem with us after we've done that, your issue, you're the crazy bigot, not us. I like that answer so much better than mine, which was like, you know, you're never going to convince those people. No, but I think it's true. You're not going to convince those people. No, but you There are people that think uh, effective altruists are evil because they're, you know, concentrating on curing malaria in Africa instead of fighting 
classism here in America. That or extremely rare puppy disorder. Or yeah. Extreme, yeah, no, I, I've yeah. literally heard people say effective altruists are a bunch of, uh, you know, unemotional spurgs because they're focusing across the world when we need the money here in America to yeah. help people yeah. with whatever. Well, and it's like, I mean... Not to sound defeatist immediately, but like with no, that I mean, one, with that, with, well, that, that's that's sort of it. It's like <laughs> at that point, it's like well, we just have different values. Like yeah. I value human life across the globe, and even to some extent into the future more apparently than you do. You know, the average homeless person in America has it so much better than the bottom billion, mm-hmm. where you know they have access to clean water, they have access to typically enough food to not die, um, occasionally shelter, and like and emergency medical treatment. I think and I so, think they, like don't get me wrong. This is a problem. We shouldn't yeah. have homeless people in America. This is a wealthy country. It's insane. But as far as like, what can I do as a person with a budget of ten thousand dollars? Well, I can with ten thousand bucks, I could probably turn two lives around, right? Maybe get I'm, get them an apartment. Get you know try and get things going. In the if I'm looking for homeless people in the U.S., if I was able to uh, send uh, you know antidiuretic. Capsules to to Africa at the cost of eight cents each, and even at the cost of distributing those and all the logistics involved. You know, people in the world die of diarrhea. Do you guys know that? Like, that's what I'd say to these people. And like, that's insane, right? Um, This this is a. But I think those people have a point. I think they have at least one real point, which is by not caring about what the local community sees around you of what your actions are you are not advertising rationality or effective altruism. If your money is going to some place in Africa, you are helping those people's lives. There is no bad in that. But you're not going to, your actions aren't going to show up in your local community. You're not going to attract more effective altruists doing that or more rationalists to raise the sanity water line. You're going to make yourself feel better and you'll make the world a measurably better place. But I think there is a trade-off and it's painful to say, but I think there is a trade-off in efficiency of good versus converting more people yeah like and i'm okay with that i don't want to say that uh i don't want to be like this negative nancy you will never fix everything everything is terrible because i I don't believe that i just want to point out that some people will always hate you no matter what like as as jesus said that uh they they will hate you because you're good or as the uh modern day jesus said they hate us for our freedoms they hate us because they ain't us right. oh. there will always there will always be those haters so we'll yeah. never be all the way there we got to be okay with some people hating I mean, us. but i think oh, yeah. you're right that it's the advertising to your local community is super important, especially since people in Africa can't help us and people here in our local community can sometimes destroy us and that's bad. I'd rather not be destroyed. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be yeah. less effective with some of your money in order to build up allies and defenses in your local community, which is where you can be killed. Mm-hmm. And the concern about branding isn't just to convince the people that would always hate you anyways. It's to reduce the power they have over you in the local community. There's a lot of people out there who are somewhat on the fence to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. And if the, the, your enemies have more power over your branding than you do, they will be the ones that convince the people on the fence, not you. So the goal is to shift the power dynamics to have power over your branding. So when people do attack you, the ones that may never be convinced, they won't have as much effect on the people around you in the local community. And it'll make them look stupid when they're like, you're attacking these people who have done wonderful things to our community. Why are you doing that? Like, they're the asshole. What I imagine would be a beautiful example in the future uh, is imagine if we have classes and next Earth Day we say, do as much as you can to clean your local environment. Send us pictures, measure it, like trash, reduce, trees planted, whatever you want. 
And then, you know, every little city and like town in America that has a few rationalists sees these weirdos going out and cleaning up litter, planting trees, planting flowers. I guarantee you at least a few people will be like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And we're going to gamify it as well. So one of the nice things about this organization is we've been talking to Matt and he's actually working on some software to accelerate learning that might be uh, concurrent and part of the process. And we actually have a few of our classes already designed and ready to go so that when this organization starts, you can immediately gain value out of it. Yeah. And of course, all of this is still in the testing phase. We're going to have a three-month period where it's we're not like collecting guild dues or anything like that. It's just all every we're going to have a select few people invited to see test out the material, give us feedback, and the, after this three-month period, we're going to regroup, do a postmortem, get critique and then decide if there's any restructuring that needs to happen. So everything so far is subject to revision, as anything in rationality is always subject to revision, if based on new evidence. Mm -hmm. One thing I like, too, about the, uh, the approach of trying to, again, not, not convince the anti-epistemology folks, but, like, whatever, you're on a forum and there's some discussion going on. Mm -hmm. it, it's just like Socrates and just like every other you know, rational rationalization that we gave ourselves from many of us did when we were going through our uh, religious deconversion and arguing with people online. I'm not doing it to convince the person I'm arguing with. I'm doing it to help give the audience information. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if all they're hearing is the vehement one side and all they, and all they see is the insane shit they bring to the table, they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is clearly not for me. Um, you, you, if you can come back and, you know, with, something helpful you know in what i've been using sort of as a like as a common template is the positive things that the rationality movement has done so far things like popularizing effective altruism mm -hmm. um things like the future for humanity institute cryonics um there there are uh like tangible organizations and movements for a better society that have already sprung up right and so you know, I then again, the the you know the most vehement detractors never ask like, what good has your community mm -hmm. done? You, they don't they don't think that's a possible consideration, right? Mm -hmm. um, so again, this isn't really in my mind still much for them. It is for the audience, right? Right. My goal is to create a reputation and an organization so solid because you're right. There will always be haters. I want to be. We want to use every bit of our rationality, every bit of wisdom, every bit of self-help and cultural knowledge we can, so that when those haters come, they have no legs to stand on. That's the goal. Not that they will like us, but I'm going to force them to show everyone in the argument that they are frivolous and that they have nothing to stand on there. That's the only real way. Mm -hmm. And if you do that often enough, the haters will shrink. They'll never go away, but I think the percentages can drop quite a bit. It's really, really hard to hate the group that's giving kids masks to prevent them from dying. <laughs> like, it's not impossible, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want to talk cool about... to have, like, a sort of Elks Lodge slash dojo slash church thing on a corner with a big billboard that says, you know, 1,000 trees planted this <laughs> month. The Guild of Servants, please enter and be willing to serve to make the world a better place. Yeah. And then, yeah, like whatever we did in the last month to make the world like good, yeah, uh, yeah. 
raised money for charity or whatnot. Once so just, the vaccines are available, yeah. you know, 10,000 vaccines given out to the needy. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And the people inside of it, inside of this guild are helping each other. They have groups that support each other to learn how to do more effective uh, community service. And also they know how to communicate things like epistemology to the people around them. They know how not to make faux pas, social faux pas that cause problems in, with reputation. They know how to, how to brand themselves so they don't, don't seem as weird. <laughs> Um, but- so that actually leads into some of the classes we're uh, going to be offering for the first three months. Yeah. Do you want to start with the character sheet? Yeah, yeah. So hold on real quick. Is there, since I don't really know anything about this yet, is this actually a created organization? Is there a website? Is there some sort of... So we are working on that. Okay. And for the fir- we don't want to put too much effort into things for the alpha test okay. because we don't know what's going to change. Okay, okay. Um, so, so this is still in the testing phase. It's still in the testing phase. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing this for three months. And just to kind of give you a recap of what this physically looks like, it's going to be an online organization primarily. Mm-hmm. So it's geographically neutral for people who don't have a physical community. But it is designed for a place for, it's designed to be a place for the community, for the rationality community to actually gather around. Um, we want to be able to teach each, teach each other how to be more effective humans and rationalists. We're going to have weekly courses where it's, there's, a, there's a class of some kind on how to make the world a better place, how to have better epistemology, so on and so forth. Uh, the idea is to provide social support and motivation to each individual. So you're going to have a, a cell, a group that of usually three to five other people uh, approximately. That is, that's your group. You are the ones that go to classes. You can earn points as a group, which these points can be used very similarly to, you know, Hogwarts house points. So in coral such, points is honestly a better coral description. Points the, yeah, coral <laughs> points is a better description of them. Because house points don't do anything. Right. Yes, <laughs> we actually do useful things. Yes, yeah, so the <laughs> points are actually going to have real world effects. But more on that in a moment. So you're going to have this group of people, preferably in real life, but if you don't have people in your local community that are rationalists, you have a small group of people that you can talk to and, and get support from. Um, so it's also going to be a way for us to signal boost our accomplishments in the local community, uh, at the same time be a testing ground to see if we can actually perform great accomplishments as rationalists. Because if, if we can't actually do anything with rationality, then this, this whole venture is uh, not as important as it might seem. <laughs> um, so I'll also, again, this is part of reclaiming our identity and brand as people who think clearly and know how to impact the world around us. And that's the general gist of the organization. So as far as weekly, the, the actual classes themselves are concerned, um, the, the, we'll, we have three modules, which will be broken up into multiple classes a piece. The first module will be something that, uh, I dubbed the character sheet. It hmm. came out of my local dojo and I have re- I have tweaked it so much. Uh, and, but it's basically an introspection tool inspired by CFAR's bug list, where you compile a list of all the problems in your life. Um, the version that I created allows you to also prioritize those and provides helpful Various helpful tools for do for finding those bugs. Uh, along with David, um, 
we have modified that to be a much more thorough introspection to see where you where, where you're emotionally f- uh, failing in life and how to spin that into a positive thing and a, something to aspire to therefore it's not called a bug list it is called a character sheet it is the a list of all the features that you are trying to attain in your life uh, very similar it's inspired by rpg character sheets um, I won't spoil the details. Mm-hmm. You'll have to take the class to find out. But it is quite delightful and has helped me a lot. Probably the best tool I have used as a rationalist uh, since since joining the community. And Where they, oh, yeah. it, since that sounds so appealing, I'm desperate to get my hands on it. Yeah, is yeah. it is it available? It will be available. Um, invite us to the alpha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all will be will be giving some information about the alpha testing here shortly. Okay, good. I didn't want to like raise my hand and like politely demand that I be included. <laughs> but I desperately want it to be. So. Of course. Um, so that is going to be our first module. Uh, the second module is one that Gray and I have been talking about, inspired by Sheldini and a conversation I had during the winter solstice in New York City, which is a lot of rationalists become vulnerable to the dark arts because we hate a lot of manipulation and sales tactics so much we never even bother to learn them and that leaves us naive. It does. Like I've seen a lot of rationalists who are way smarter than me fall for tricks that in my brother's words makes them look like a jabroni. <laughs> like <laughs> these are naive failures that I'm kind of shocked by. So we're going to create a uh, module called Defense Against Dark Arts. Nice. Where people I did, will I did have a fist pump. <laughs> I've done sales for 10 years and Gray with his own background, I won't speak for him, but has had his own experiences dealing with these things. And between the two of us, we've come up with a series of classes to help you notice when someone is engaging in behaviors that are red flags that you need to watch out for and how to defend yourself socially and emotionally from people like that in those situations. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember... Uh... Like Robert Cialdini's book is one of my like favorite go-tos for recommending people uh, and even just buying them copies because mm-hmm. they're ridiculously cheap. Um, there was an anecdote that Julia Galef gave many years ago on the Rationally Speaking podcast about how like at a mall or something, someone had one of those expensive hair straighteners mm-hmm. and was like, oh, you know, let me, let me demo this for you. It's great. And then sure, why not? And then at the end, it's like, okay, well, they're like 200, you know, they're, I forget how much, 150 bucks or something. And. Um, she's like, oh, I, no thanks. Well, I just did this for you. It's like, yeah, but I don't owe you anything. Mm-hmm. Like, you volunteered to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's an awkward thing to say, but that is the appropriate response to a a, a technique like this being mm-hmm. wielded against you. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, I bumped, bumped into somebody who went to one of these mall, you know, got roped into one of these mall kiosk stands and came home with an expensive hair straightener. <laughs> and I'm like, if only you had read Silgini's book, mm-hmm. you would know that you're not being an asshole by saying... Mm-hmm. No thanks. I'm not taking. I'm not going to give you money in exchange for the service that you provided up front that mm-hmm. uh, wasn't supposed to be part of this. Mm-hmm. That you volunteered, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So there's that one, and then there's the fashion module. Yeah. So mm. I uh, have a module. The last module we will have in the alpha phase is I've worked and in clothing stores for years. Uh, I really like fashion, and I think many rationalists don't take it seriously. They don't take it seriously because they think it's an inconvenience and that clothing is just there to prevent them from being arrested or cold. And 
That is I'm the... in this picture and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this idea because in my opinion, fashion is communication. Mm-hmm. My opinion is that you have layers of communication in person. And the first one is fashion. Then it's body language. Then it's voice tone. And then it's the words you say as people get closer to you physically. That That's the layers they interact with. We are really good as a community at knowing the right words. In fact, this community is unusually good at being linguistically talented. But I think every other layer needs improvement. And so my contribution is thinking about how to develop your personal brand. Not, I like to dress a little bit outrageously and (laughs) gather attention, but that's me. That's my own personal brand, and it helps create an identity for me that is useful and practical in a lot of rationalist ways. Like, when I show up, people know what I am about from 50 feet away when they see me in a rose suit. (laughs) Like, I clearly describe who I am, and it's a filtering mechanism. I don't have to talk to the people who don't want to deal with that. And you're right, the body language also is a thing. Like, seeing you, the way you walked up to the group in that rose suit, like, also communicated, hey, this is, uh, this is what you're gonna get. Time to swagger. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I'm gonna be creating a fashion module where, at very minimum, we will get rid of the worst fashion habits that you have. And oftentimes, that's enough to make a big improvement. Mm -hmm. And just I, learning how to shop for a t-shirt made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, knowing about fit, like yeah. knowing how much of a difference fit makes and how you can wear a $5 white t-shirt from Kmart and if it fits you well, oh, Kmart might be out of business. This is a silly <laughs> reference. Um, but if it fits you well, it's going to look like a million bucks. But if you spent $200 on like a nice fitted button down shirt and it's baggy on you, you're going to look like you're wearing your dad's clothing. Yeah. And I am very lucky that I have at least a few female friends who are going to be helping consult. So this will be a all genders uh, or gender neutral class as well. <laughs> and I will offer a little teaser, which is uh, we are working on, I'm working on another module. I've talked about this on the Discord about building social networks and making them what making wide and deep social networks in any city you're in in about six months. So if you're interested in such a class, you should support the guild for the first three months. It seems like it would be on your, it would be in your interest. (laughs) Well, what's fun is that like on a meta level, then I want a a specific point here. So I'll try and make both. One, high up, you guys are doing the awesome thing of looking at something that exists that you, that you see room for improvement for and asking, how can we do better? Mm -hmm. Which is fucking tight. Just got to call that out. Um, at the 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 lower level thing of the fashion thing that's that's been coming around to me in like the last year or so like my wife in addition to being just like gorgeous is also has this ability to buy herself things that like we can't leave the house that are getting complimented which is awesome yeah. and then there's me in my three-year-old costco jeans with holes in them and my target shirt shit also with holes in it <laughs> and uh like i have some nice clothes and I like it's you know on the but, on, for, for the a, most part like make I, a point? yeah but but let me yeah. finish my thought which or I guess on on a couple notes one we're barely leaving the house now so it doesn't matter Fair. Mm-hmm. um but the other thing is like uh it it's it's partly like on the one hand I like dressing in a way that you know like nice guy from worm your eyes totally pass over me when you mm-hmm. look at me in a crowd and so like if I'm on the train to work I don't want people to like stop and notice 
part of me maybe would would like that maybe but the other part of me just likes to be completely ignored um but also i could optimize for that strategy too i guess right oh yeah um, yeah there are so, ways to dress in such a way that you are noticed when you want to be yeah and you know the other thing but i do love dressing nicely you know you're wearing a button-down shirt david and mm-hmm. you look great in it and I, I, I liked to wear my Target shirt because it was the one at the front of the line in the rack in my closet this morning. And actually last night when I threw it on the floor so I could get dressed in the dark. Um, so, uh, like, but I like dressing up a lot. I, I, and it, it, it sounds like a silly thing to, to, to mention, but it's not. Like, I, when I dress nice, I feel nice, you know? Like, so, it's just a, it's a way of, like, you know, yeah. why do I shower? Like, it's not just because I smell if I don't. It's so I, it's so I look, it's so I feel, like, as good as I want to look, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Stephen, I was lucky enough to stay with you last time I was in Denver. I met Rachel, and so I've been on her Facebook, and I agree. She has a great look. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Do you think Rachel could make a look if I gave her $20 and put her in a thrift store and you she would come out with a look that you would say, yes, that is her style? Um, I am ill-equipped to answer that question, but not uh, unusually ill-equipped. Her parents don't buy her clothes. Like, mm. she, like her, her fashion sense is, is uh, impenetrable to all of us in such that, <laughs> like, you know... I, what I'm getting at is maybe? I don't know. So my opinion is this. We confuse expensive clothing and nice clothing for fashion. And oh, her fashion, stuff isn't all that expensive. Exactly. Yeah. She has an aesthetic. And once she knows what her aesthetic is, she's able to cultivate it. And the truth is, this is a very natural process. Developing an aesthetic is something artists do, fashion designers. It's a thing you can learn and teach other people. But it is work. It is not a natural thing. Humans don't come built in with an aesthetic normally. We come in with a way to protect our nethers from the cold and bugs. And, and about police. Yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, yeah, just wearing enough clothes to not have people throw garbage at us and call the cops. Yeah, so. so what this class will be aimed at doing is helping people develop that aesthetic for themselves. Because my opinion is fashion is so horrible, we have to get rid of it every six months. Style is forever. I think that's a Mark Twain quote. But we that's what I would like with that module. And I think that if you look at the modules we have as the first three, what you're seeing is kind of the thrust of where we're going. We also have plans with Matt about doing a possible class on practical Bayesian analysis in the field where you would mix like math that you did with poker practices so you can do odds live. Yeah. Being able to do calculations in real time even just knowing how to perform a uh, back of the napkin bayesian analysis analysis of a situation is super helpful and not many people know how to do that that sounds really valuable too i mean there's something to be said for just having the intuition of it and that can be helpful you know like if i take my car in and it's making a clunky noise Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna check the windshield wiper fluid right right? like that's not the problem um probably won't even bother checking the battery first right you 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 come in it's just it's it's a differential diagnosis right Right. and so that that in itself is sort of a of a a bayesian exercise Mm -hmm. but yeah being able to do the math for it would be would be helpful to just say am i i mean jesus at my job half of it is just like all right what the fuck is wrong with this thing and being able to do some quick odds and being able to be able to concentrate my uncertainty so I don't spend my first half day investigating this problem, looking at the wrong thing, 
reliably yeah. i can i can reliably find the right thing to look at the first time half the time that'd be that'd be awesome right yeah so these classes are basically each of us as rationalists who are passionate about how the community looks to the outside and the potential for the rationality community to raise the sanity waterline these are things we think are some of the highest order of magnitude changes that rationalists can could make in their lives uh, towards towards these ends um so given all that do you guys have any questions for us I have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm trying to couch this so it doesn't sound like a criticism. No. Uh, no. So I like, I like, and I hate the name uh, mm. Community of Servants. <laughs> oh, Guild of Servants. Guild of Servants. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I like the fact that it seems to be very outward facing. It is there for the other people to look at us and be like, "Oh, they're servants. They're here to help the community. This is great." And that's exactly what we want. On the other hand, like. As soon as I heard that, if someone were to ask me, do you want to join a guild of servants? I'd be like, fuck you. I'm not anyone's servant. I live my own life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I really want to be a part of this. And you already picked the name. And I think, honestly, I think objectively it's probably a good name. But like, what do you say to people like me who have been spending their lives trying to get past the feeling that we, well, you know, as someone who came from, from a, a Christian cult, that mm-hmm. our lives are to be used for other people and we're trying to get over that. Seek freedom and become slave to your desires. Seek discipline and you shall find your liberty. By refusing to be a servant to anything, you are just like, what is that? uh, One of the 12 virtues is if you allow yourself to be carried by your, uh, what you want, you will be enslaved to your whims. You're not a servant to the world. You're a servant to truth. And if you can't become a servant to truth, you have no right to call yourself a rationalist. We serve the truth first. We serve the world second, and we serve ourselves third. Okay, that's pretty fucking awesome. I like the we serve the truth thing. Yeah. This is why David's going to be head of marketing. Hell yeah. I am our HR person. <laughs> and I have found that having a, a, a life without... The times I'm happiest in life tends to be when I'm doing things with and for other people. When, like, oh, God, the corona months have been awful. But, like, I'm just alone and doing things for myself and not seeing other people. And it's miserable. You yeah. have no sense of meaning in life anymore. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, when, you, when finding something bigger than yourself is such an important thing. It's, it's why we have religion. It's why we have all these various philosophies that people served to their dying breath because there's this overwhelming need to do something that's bigger than yourself. And that one of the most important things that's bigger than ourselves is the continuation of the human species, the well-being of the human species, the advancement of the enlightenment, and all those things. Their servant can mean a variety of things, and one of those definitions is seeking it all your days, pursuing it, and making it a priority in your life. Um... I had one about like these sort of community facing activities that will that you can point to and say, "Look at this good we did." Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, I mean, any any palpable thing where someone can walk down the street and notice what you did. You know, picking up garbage is an obvious thing. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's like in Kansas City or, or nowhere Lancaster. Pennsylvania, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like there, I can't walk to Safeway without passing garbage on the street, and it mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be cool, you know, to have that cleaned up but any any group of humdrum motivated people can clean up garbage what, right. what, what makes us cool what makes the stuff we're doing cool what so, cool shit are we doing that like oh man i should get in with them Not- so here's the way i think it's the way we have it structured is these are competitions between cells 
And so you are encouraged to use every rationalist trick you have. And remember, cheating is just what losers call technique. <laughs> to win. If, you're, if your goal... So I drive over to Inyasha's neighborhood and dump all my trash after picking it up. <laughs> we actually... You can spend your points to sabotage other teams. <laughs> but... In harmless ways. In harmless ways. If you trash on my lawn, though, that means I have extra bags of trash to get points with. So <laughs> you're really I don't even have to go very far. I'm like, look at all this trash I cleaned up. Thanks, Stephen. What I would like is if this is a problem, like you see trash in Denver, yeah, any group of humdrum people could do some cleaning and they probably would earn some goodwill. Like they probably get a few people interested. I would love it if maybe the group of Denver rationalists talked with the city council, worked in a 3D printing shop and then designed Roombas that clicked to the sides of the <laughs> curb and clean the streets forever. Yeah. And then the problem is solved forever that's part that's, of what, that's yeah, what i think rationalists the can first do person comes around and kicks the roomba for shits yeah, and giggles you yeah. got like you get, then you should design your roombas to be a uh, modular and yeah. you're not very rational if you're not planning for kicks well <laughs> or to have um, it violently explode when kicks yeah. So, oh, yeah. one of the things we would be measuring is the long-term impact you have on your community and how the community responded to the things that you did mm -hmm. so part of that is not just for using this particular example of cleaning up trash, what did you do to prevent trash from happening again in the future? What systemic problems did you work towards fixing and in order to be more effective at what you're doing? That, it, actually, that actually makes this hard. When yeah. I try and answer that question, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. immediately draw a blank, yeah. which means I have to work at it, which right. is awesome. Which mm -hmm. means you, you have to go and problem solve. You have, to go, you have to go figure out what is causing this in the first place. And maybe you and your cell will have a brainstorming session and then you guys might pre-mortem a bunch of the ideas and you use the rationalist techniques you've heard and then you think about the classes you have and you think okay we did the module for defense against dark arts and we've noticed that this person in the city council is a real problem how can we work around them instead of bashing our heads against the wall or getting frustrated and saying oh humans are just so frustrating blah 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 no we're going to use our modules to work around that and accomplish things yeah, we're going to look good while doing it so mm -hmm. they can't just brush us off as just another group of humdrum lay people and right now too i think that is largely if not the default response a default response for a lot of people which is and eh, people just suck we're never gonna be able to do anything about that and like that's basically quitter talk yeah. like we, we live on a planet with people mm -hmm. and then until you guys have your own planet and you get to move you know and, and it's then it's you know whatever rationalists which are better than people um <laughs> i say in quotes uh like you, this is the world we have and so mm -hmm. you don't get just just throw your hands up and say well people suck and therefore it's not worth doing stuff which i think is a a common attitude people I was are adaptation executors and the mm -hmm. system of incentives determines what adaptations they execute so if we can change the system of incentives yeah. we can make things mm -hmm. better i was an evangelical christian yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I just by reading some material from the rationalist community i did a complete 180 in my quality of life my relationships my epistemology imagine having a cell of people a group that holds me personally accountable and teaches me and helps me and guides me and shows me how to live a more rational life that could have massive effects i can't even i can't even conceive of what of how good that could be for some people so if if anyone was a hopeless case that was me and it required very little from the rationalist community to, to turn me around. It required it merely existing and you finding it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine huh. uh, what something like a, a active rationalist community that knows how to uh, brand themselves and how to teach others in an empathetic and effective way. I also find it, in my opinion, the thing that really 
crushes me the most is I think the people who would most benefit from rationality are the people who are least likely to find it when they need it. Mm. Like, I think we can all... I think everyone who's listening to this podcast and everyone in this room can think of at least one person in their life who is smart, who is capable, who could understand this and whose life could be improved by these things, but because they were either in the wrong social circle or just quite honestly, their interests weren't the same as ours. They never ran into it when it would have mattered, when it could have made a real impact on them. I am not, I honestly don't think I would have found this community if it wasn't for my friend Errol reading HPMOR and then recommending it to me because none of my interests aligned. Like I would have been in any other situation exactly the kind of dark arts master that everyone hates. I would have been some kind of lawyer, politician, salesman. It would have been evil. So this community, by dumb luck, saved me from a very terrible path. And I'm just wondering how many other people out there, because we don't advertise well, because we're not out there, who were on that borderline are falling the wrong way. Like, I want to make rationality so popular and simplified that you can start teaching it to, like, middle schoolers and that everyone can just start absorbing it into their life. You're not going to raise the sanity waterline by making geniuses smarter. You're going to raise the sanity waterline by finding the people in your community who are at the lowest and then lifting them up, even if it's just one little step. I would caveat with, you had said they could have found rationality when it would have made a difference. Um, You know, barring deathbed exceptions, Mm. I feel like it's almost never too late to get better, right? I believe in theory that is true, but I think that there are some people for whom making that transition after they've invested so much in their current identity would break them. Yeah. Like it's but, the reason people don't leave the Westboro Baptist church because for every person who does, they always tell like, Oh, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It destroyed my entire worldview and social life for years until I was like able to form other connections. The deeper your roots are, the worse it sucks when you uproot them all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of somebody whose life could, could use some on track finding not that they're entrenched in the wrong cult or something yet that's that's a different problem but even then too we still want <laughs> the, wrong cult. the right cult we, 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 still, we are a secret society thank you <laughs> a cults, conspiracy one might say cults are desperate secret societies are selective ah. and in fact that is an important facet <laughs> one one For still example, wants to be able people who are just listening to this podcast can't join up you got to be invited mm-hmm. one still wants to be able to uh you know encourage we want the number of people leaving the Westboro Baptist Church to go up, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if it went up, I don't know. They're not they're not that big of a group anymore. It's like I think 80. they're like thirty people. Yeah, it's not that I think big. at their peak it was like eighty or something. Yeah. But you know, if fuck it, if five of them if five of them left next week, they have a social circle already, right? Mm-hmm. They got all five. They got all of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what do they talk about? Their shared pain, the the only experience they have in common, which is the thing they're trying to leave behind, and the ones that they're doing going forward. I'm just saying, like at the very least, if if more people were leaving these bad toxic groups, um, you know, like there was that guy, I forget his name. Uh, I think Christian might've been his first name, reformed neo-Nazi. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. instead of just like being a reformed neo-Nazi it, by himself and having bettered himself, he heads up groups of people helping to get people out of this, you know, doing Nazi tattoo removal and stuff like that. Depro- and, like deprogramming and depropagandizing people. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's awesome. And so, you know, it, I guess what I'm getting at is that I don't want to be... It's weird that I'm defeated in other notes and not on this one. <laughs> that um, It's never too late to get better, right? Which I don't think is a statement that you're challenging so much. It's just that it might be harder and it, you might you might bear less fruit. As if a Bayesian, the probabilities that you will change are never zero, but they do get pretty damn low. <laughs> you know, if you're 75 
and you're leaving a cult that has been life consuming, you know, you're, I, I don't know, still part of me wants to focus on the remaining years that you have that are now better, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, if they're all going to be terribly worse because you're now shunned, I guess I see, I see what you're saying, yeah. but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm still advocating for the fact that I think the, the pool of people that won't be helped by raising their sanity a bit is extremely small. I'm willing to yeah. agree with that, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't just, think we disagree that much. Sometimes you just have to leave. Like Darth Vader, it was his last few minutes of life, and yet he still had to leave his cult and be like, no, they've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Not that people who aren't rationalists are Darth Vader, but they kind of are. And we will teach you to defend yourself from them. <laughs> and as we know, it's safe to generalize from fictional evidence. Yes. <laughs> but as I caveated in the last episode, this isn't fictional evidence. This is you know generalizing a lesson. It's not saying next time you're confronted by Emperor Palpatine this is what will happen <laughs> yeah. so yeah um, on as a uh, as a general invitation uh, it is an application process that way we have the ability to invite everyone we we want while still also maintaining a uh, end goal of a small enough group of people that we can still manage and grade and such uh, so it's going to take place on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, the location will be on the internet for now. How long is the meeting? Uh, two hours approximately. Okay. Maybe, yeah, depending on the, on, the, on the exact class. First half will usually be a lecture. Second half will be you working with your cell to discuss either the previous assignment or the next assignment. Mm. So in order to apply, in order if you really want to get in on this and see what it's like and provide feedback and critique, uh, you want to send an email to guildofservants at gmail.com with your name and a short response explaining your hopes for the course, introducing who you are, and how you received this invitation. 1,000 characters or less. We mm-hmm. know you rationalists. We know how much you write. We don't have time to read words? it. Characters. Uh, characters. Characters. <laughs> okay. so, yeah. yeah. Poetry, man. Get real good at saying things real fast. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be like... One to two paragraphs. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> we don't have that much time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when 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 you send that email, uh, you will if you are accepted, you will receive a formal invitation with all the details, uh, and then you'll begin joining the al- the three month alpha test of the Guild of Servants. And you can start sending those in the day this podcast comes out, and two weeks after that. Uh, you- we will have reviewed, and the people who have been invited will have received responses, and the classes will start. Mm-hmm. And so all they need to send is their name and what they hope to get out of the community, not... Uh, the, the courses. Uh, the course, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. I'm drafting my, my paragraphs in my head right now. So. Nice. In, in the future, it's going to, I'm guessing, going to be mainly a Zoom thing, at least until the corona thing wears off. Very likely. Yeah. And likely. how many people are you hoping or expecting planning on uh, having this initial wave we are going to not accept any more than 30 people we cannot handle more than 30 people and give the quality of experience that we want and i'm assuming that it's going is it going to be one big zoom of 30 people or are there going to be like multiple uh it would, it would be a it would be one one big 
group where you listen for to the lecture mm-hmm. for the for the lecture portion mm-hmm. and then you would do something akin to zoom breakout sessions where you discuss the content with your cellmate the instructor cellmate, cellmate <laughs> nice. yeah, that's, um, and the instructor can go go between the rooms answering questions giving advice that kind of thing i know that um rebellions and and other revolutionary activities were generally broken up into cells too what did they call each other? Because we could use borrow a term mm. from that rather than cellmate. <laughs> yes. Celly was the colloquialism I heard from people sharing rooms in prison, but we probably no, don't want no, to no. use we that. Want, we yeah. want whatever you called your fellow cellmates in a in a revolutionary underground. Comrade. We'll we'll think on that. We'll think okay. on that. That'll be our project between yeah. now and when we uh, launch the thing. Cool. Cool. Indeed. And that's really what we have as far as what we're bringing. And we hope that the people who are listening to this podcast who are interested take the time and ask themselves, what do they want from the rationalist community? Even if it's not what we're doing, I would rather have 20 other groups competing with us because then one of us will succeed at doing the right thing and making us a big group. But obviously we're the best because we're first. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get the opportunity to lay out some founder effects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, what I like is that this is, again, finding, um, you know, optimizing everything is what, you know, mm-hmm. if, if we had bumper stickers, that's what one of them would say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, optimizing what does rationality do isn't really a question that has occurred to me that explicitly before, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. And, like, I remember we had a, the pleasure of meeting Robin Hansen for dinner when he was here for Sam Harris's podcast a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And... It was many people from the local rationalist meetup, and he asked like a couple times, like, "What do you guys do? What does your meetup do?" And I was like, "Well, we, you know, enjoy the community norms of the rationality community." Mm-hmm. And he, like, "What kind of answer are you expecting?" Because he asked twice. He's like, "Well, you know, a lot of meetups I go to, they're like working on some Bitcoin thing, or they're all building an app, or whatever." And I'm like, "Well, we don't really have anything like that. Mm-hmm. We're just hanging out and mm-hmm. enjoying the, you know, good conversation." Yeah. Um, and that's incredibly incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but uh, I, I like this answer more, mm-hmm. a, a lot more. Like, what are you guys doing? Well, we're actually fucking doing something, yeah. mm-hmm. and you guys are doing that. I think that's outstanding, mm-hmm. and I don't have uh, the vocabulary to articulate other than saying how awesome it is again. Um, <laughs> really, really, how cool I think that is. So I love my ego getting stroked. Don't stop. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to having one of those signs on the side of the highway that says this next mile is maintained by the community of servants. Yeah. Guild mm-hmm. of servants. Guild of servants, right? Yeah. Because the, the end goal is to also be able to have physical locations and the Guild of Servants as a nationwide, global-wide organization can give them the resources, they can network them, they can provide course material, and that allows us to basically plant rationality communities. And if we get big enough, we can have a guild pope. <laughs> that's a oh, that's a failure mode, but uh... <laughs> damn it, there go my plans for being guild pope. <laughs> that, that does bring up the important question: Will there be hats? Uh, every cool only club for ha- the pope. Every cool club has hats. My grandpa was a uh, in the. I think we could reveal the. Yeah, so we actually have hats. a we have a strict rule for our meetings, which is every time we have a meeting, all of us have to wear silly hats. Ooh, and we already the, have one. The yeah. reason why is. You don't want to take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It's so easy when you have these big goals and these big aspirations to get caught up in yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to take yourself too seriously when you have a jester hat on and you're jingling every time you nod your head. <laughs> My favorite is a Santa Claus hat that is green. Oh, that's a good one. I only own one hat. 
so I'll have to find some silly ones. <laughs> it's I think it's TBD whether we'll require the the uh, the students to do it, but I'm leaning towards that. It looks stupid, so I'll still wear it, and it's, I think it still counts. <laughs> but it's not a jester hat. So. Gotcha. All right. Well, this is awesome. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Um, no, I guess website TBD and all that stuff. Yeah, website TBD, formal stuff like that is all is all TBD. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we will probably have a website and we will send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the first wave is an invitation-only alpha test, you probably don't need a website yet. We might at least have a landing page to direct yeah. people to okay. with basic information, mm-hmm. basic communication platforms. Like we'll have a Discord, an email address where mm-hmm. to apply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds awesome. Yeah. I don't have anything else to add. No, I am super excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I don't get... I mean, <laughs> this is something that I feel like I can benefit a lot from. And uh, I have an optimistic, you know, vision for 10 years from now of how much this could grow and how much stuff it could do. Yeah. And... Hopefully, being part of the alpha part of that test will be bragging rights for me in 10 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I was there helping uh, get this off the ground by mm-hmm. being a, an early contributor. Definitely. Um, that, I admit, I kind of feel like we were just treading water the past couple years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been great and it's been a lot of fun, but I'm like, we aren't doing anything new. Yeah. I would describe the last few years as when you plant bamboo... It doesn't grow for the first few years. All it's doing is it's growing down. The roots are growing down and it's becoming more solid. That's what the community has been doing the last few years. We've been building connections. We've been talking. We've been doing discords. Mm -hmm. We've been creating podcasts and networks of communication. We've built the root network. Mm -hmm. And it's really just someone has to pull the trigger and start shooting up. And I honestly am not sure if I'm the most qualified person for it, but I might be the stupidest person who's also brave enough to do it. So, and with wisdom like Alex and Matt and Gray and Errol bringing, it's very easy for us to do amazing things. I mean, I think most qualified is a highly overrated um, qualification. The (laughs) most important thing, in my opinion, has always been just the willingness to do it. If someone's actually out there doing the thing, that is... You're 99% of the way there because most people just don't do the thing. 100% agree. Yeah. It doesn't. If you're waiting for the best person to do it, they'll never show up. Right. It's just the person who will do it. Mm-hmm. And man, it would be cool in 15 years if the legacy of this podcast is that it helped bring together the people who started the Guild of Servants. Yeah. I think that'd be a pretty sick legacy anyway. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. That would be... This podcast has helped bring a lot of people together. You guys should be very proud of yourselves. This I mentioned this on the live episode, but this this podcast is what kept me going before I was able to start a local community. Oh shit, that's awesome. Yeah, if if this podcast didn't exist, uh, there's a good chance I would have fizzled out. Wow. Well, damn. Then I mean, like I said, if if all that comes out of it is that it helps birth, not all that comes out of it, but if this is one of the the seeds that helped birth a an actual move, an actual move to shoot up like uh david was saying then i think that's awesome so indeed cool man this was great i want to hear all about this and i guess like i said there'll be three months of trial period so we got mm-hmm. you know everyone else is as stoked as stoked as i am hearing about this you know mm-hmm. stay maintain this little excitement for the next quarter year mm-hmm. and then there'll be you know whatever discord websites right. and community and all that stuff so and i'm assuming it'll be like a month of getting applications and going through them before you guys actually start anything correct between uh, between now and when we start uh, probably about a month approximately awesome well thanks so much guys yeah thank you for letting us on we appreciate you guys so much you're awesome and uh, dude you guys are awesome (laughs) you are doing a thing and that is huge yeah i'm i'm very excited for what we what this can be yeah 
All right, well, shall we thank our patron as we wrap up? Oh, yeah, someone else who's also doing a thing. Yeah, and someone who is helping to um, keep this network going that keeps people from fizzling out. Uh, Oscar Capraro, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is our patron that we are thanking today. You have helped keep Alex in the community uh, and going so that now he can do this thing for all of us. (laughs) So, Oscar, you are awesome. All our patrons, you are awesome. We thank thank you you all. Yeah, you keep this going. Seconded. I don't have much else to say other than Enyar said it all better. <laughs> doesn't mean I don't feel the same way. <laughs> and if you would like to also help provide this this fallback network thing for people to listen to, uh, you can donate to us uh, at patreon.com under The Bayesian Conspiracy. We have our website, thebayesianconspiracy.com. Uh, you can hit us up on the Discord, which is linked there. And there's a subreddit. You can email us personally. Again, linked at the website. There's lots of ways to get in contact and to talk with other rationalists. So do all that. Rate and review the podcast, maybe. Yeah, if you're suffering alone in, you know, a single bubble of sanity that is just you and you want a community, uh, online avenues exist. And then, you know, if you want to start a meet space one when uh, IRL things become safe again, then uh, again, my my always advice is, and this isn't, I'm not an expert at starting local communities, but it's always just, just do it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. put it on meetup.com, go to a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And if you're by yourself for the first two, three meetings, Whatever, maybe find a way to market it if it takes mm-hmm. several mm-hmm. meetings or whatever. But people will come. Yeah. People show up. And then you could start conversations. And yeah. it's great. So. And if anyone ever needs logistical uh, advice, they feel free to reach out to me. I'm available all the time. Uh, my, I'm How fine. can they reach you? Uh, my email address is fine. Uh, alex.headkey at gmail.com. That's A-L-E-X dot H-E-D as in Delta, T as in Tango, K-E at gmail.com. Awesome. And Bayes Theorem on the Discord. And Bayes Theorem on the Discord. And we'll, also put, and we'll also put that in the show notes and on the website. If you're okay having your website. That's totally fine. There. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we'll be back in two weeks. Bye. 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 Bye.